Hello and welcome to Auric Digital's How to Make a Video Game Podcast. Here, you'll be entertained, informed and enlightened by the many goings on within the studio as we introduce you to our projects, our colleagues and give you a little insight into how we operate. Thanks for listening in. We hope you enjoy today's episode. Jess. Matt. Hello. <laughs> <laughs> now, I'm going to take that delay in you saying hello. Is, is The reason for that delay is because you're so excited about this episode because we have a proper, proper ledge on the episode today. That ledge, who is that ledge, Jess? Tell us. Uh, someone, someone, I don't know if you've heard of him, but it's someone under the name of, uh, Steve Jackson, perhaps. My gosh, Steve Jackson, the, uh, the board game designer of Ogre, um, mm. which we as a studio are, um, are attached to and big fans of and developers of, uh, we worked on the adaptation, the PC adaptation of that in 2017. Um, it's a really cool game. Um, only recently I, I kind of managed to get my head around it a bit more. And when you dig, it's, it's a funny one because it's the more, the more you get into it, the more it kind of gives you. And that's something I've really kind of grown to kind of, uh, I really appreciate that with this particular game, with the PC um, adaptation. I've not played the board game, um, but judging by the size of the box, mm. might be there for a while. It's a big old box is the, is the ogre game. Anyway, yes. sorry, Matt here. Uh, Oric Digital, how to make a video game podcast. I'm very good at kind of splurging about stuff before then introducing the pod. Jess, how are you? I'm I'm really well today. I'm excited for this episode. I'm excited for the interview with Steve Jackson. I was in the studio a few weeks ago, in person, in the actual studio, and we've got a copy of it there, and it is huge. I think it's bigger than me. I actually genuinely think the box is bigger than me as a full-sized human being. I, I I would second that. I mean, I would say I've never stood next to the yoga box, but um, I would hazard to say it probably it definitely comes up to my hip mm. at the very least. I think, and I think I feel sorry for the unit that it's on, especially because it's in it's in a room where we have lots of minis. We like to paint minis and stuff on on lunch when we're able to, of course, with with restrictions. But it it just just dwarfs those minis. Even maybe, maybe the box is made to look bigger because of the minis. I don't know. It's some sort of weird. Uh, vortex that you enter, that you go into that room, you see how big this box is. I think we've talked enough about the box. Mm. Let's learn about the guy, the man <laughs> who made the thing, and we're going to leave it up to Thomas to do that. Uh, Thomas Rawlings, our studio director, is going to be uh, taking the lead on this one. So, over to Thomas. Ogre, which many of you know is the name of a large beast of legend that eight eight people, uh, is also the name of a classic board game by Steve Jackson. And again, there's two Steve Jacksons. We're talking about the American board game designer, Steve Jackson, not the Steve Jackson, the co-founder of Games Workshop and the Fighting Fantasy books. Um, the original Ogre game was released back in 1977. And over the years, they've undergone six editions of it. And the most recent being in 2011, which was sixth edition as part of a huge Kickstarter that they ran. The original Ogre, and for the purpose of this discussion, we'll call Classic Ogre, that focused that had a kind of small map, um, a bunch of units, which were one huge ogre versus a whole bunch of smaller units. Uh, the ogre itself uh, is called that, it is the kind of colloquial name of it, and it's a huge artificial intelligence-powered tank. And in Classic Ogre, it's facing off against loads of smaller conventional, I know that the timeline's set further into the future, military units, tanks, infantry, etc. And it's a kind of classic 
um, asymmetrical battle where there's one huge unit really powerful facing off against lots of smaller ones. And, you know, it asks that kind of classic combat question, what will win, you know, brute strength or the mass of numbers? Uh, and that's down to the players to figure that out. Um, once Ogre came out, it was very successful, did really well. So shortly after, Steve released a, a game called GEV, which stands for Ground Effect Vehicle. And these are the kind of combat hovercraft which are in the original Ogre game. Um, and it's like a fast attack vehicle in the game with its own set of rules. Um, the supplement added a lot more granularity around how these smaller combat units work. It added um, it added um, a bunch of stuff around terrain and made that more granular. And I think the key thing if you play the game um, that it added is a, a rule called Overrun. And this is where all the combatants end up in one hex fighting each other in a more of a close quarters type battle. I don't necessarily mean melee, but, but they're kind of all fighting each other. And that's because Ogre itself is like a simulation of future war. The idea is that the map you play on each hex is approximately a kilometre and a half. And so when you see a unit on a hex, it's not it doesn't fill that hex end to end. It just occupies that space. And so in classic Ogre, most of the combat units are... Um, they're doing kind of range combat between hexes fighting each other and depending on the range of their weapons that might be the next hex say for infantry or it might be multiple hexes away for a missile or a longer range weapon um, overrun means the units all end up in the same hex as i say kind of fighting each other speaking of size to get the kind of sense of the size in there um, a current day tank like a large main battle tank like an abrams is just under eight meters long um, an Ogre Mark I, which was the kind of first version of Ogres that appeared in, in the narrative, um, is 13 metres. So not quite the twice the length of a, a kind of normal tank, but going up to the biggest sort of Ogres, which are the Mark Vs, and they're 25.5 metres long. So, you know, they're kind of two and a half plus times the size of, of a tank, a conventional tank today. But the thing that makes Ogres so powerful uh, within the Ogre game is they've got no crew, no people, just the kind of cold, unblinking logic of the combat AI. And that's what made them so terrifying as enemies was their brutal efficiency in how they fought. And so we, as in Auroc, in 2017, uh, we were very proud to work with Steve Jackson Games and release the digital version of Ogre on Steam for PC and Mac. Um, this is a very faithful adaptation of the board game and it covers classic Ogre, GEP rules, um, so you can play the original Ogre, you can play the kind of GEV edition of Ogre with overrun rules. Uh, it allows for single-player skirmish with all of those classic maps and a bunch of other maps in there. It has a campaign which is unique to the digital version, uh, but it also has multiplayer. It has a scenario editor where you can make maps and deployments. Um, and since we launched it over the, over the years since it launched, we've updated the game a few times, fixing bugs, adding improvements and additions. And we're still doing work into Ogo. You know, we've got a, a commitment to the project to kind of see it, it go further forward. Um, and that's Ogre. And uh, so in, in this episode, I'm delighted um, to be joined by the creator of Ogre, the legendary game designer, Steve Jackson, uh, who's joining us from the other side of the Atlantic. Uh, and it's really great to have him with us. Thank you so much, Steve, for joining us. We really appreciate uh, taking time out of your busy schedule designing amazing games to talk about um, the classic that is Ogre. Well, it's good to be here. So, first off, uh, are you actually the best player of Ogre in the world? 
Oh, I am certainly not the best player of Ogre in the world. I am competent, but I have met people who have real trained tactical ability who can see a little bit farther than I can into the map, and they can beat me. Do you feel that that's like a... As a game designer, does that make you feel good? Like, I've made something that has this emergent thing that goes beyond what I can see. Yes, very much. Which nicely leads us into a little bit about how you created it. Because uh, I've read some various stuff about where you took the inspiration for Ogre from. Um, but is it really, is it narrative or mechanical? You know, where did the, the ideas for the parts of the game come from? Well, the original idea was narrative. The game as originally assigned to me by metagaming uh, was to produce a micro game version that of the Keith Laumer Bolo stories. And I hadn't gotten very far into that before the word came down, no, no, the license is too expensive, don't do that. And at that point, I was relieved because the stories that I had been reading did not really mesh with the game that I found myself wanting to create. So although I am a huge Laumer fan, in this particular case, I, I welcomed that back off because it let me free to do whatever background I wanted to to serve the mechanics. So background game came very first, as in, let's do a giant tank. And then mechanics came along and pushed, well, didn't push the original background out of the way, but made me very willing to let it be pushed out of the way. And then background and mechanics developed together. I hope that wasn't an outrageously long answer to a simple it's question. It's a very good answer to uh, 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 to my question. So, yeah, no, it's fascinating to hear it. I have to admit, it, it, these kind of early how does a game come to be, uh, I'm kind of having a current thing where I'm getting very into, you know, what's the what's the root of the idea? Um, like, uh, the, the thing that encapsulates for me is, I saw a clip from that recent Beatles documentary on Disney Plus where they show um, they show uh, Paul McCartney and he's just jamming away on a guitar and he's got nothing. And then, like, a minute later, he's, he's out of the ether. He's pulled um, Get Back, the song Get Back. And that got me thinking a lot about, you know, what we do and, and how do you go from I've got a blank piece of paper to... I've got this cool thing that people love interacting with. And, and how do you pull all those elements together, if you see what I mean? Yes. And I certainly don't have a formula for it, but but I've learned some things that help. Going to conventions helps. Uh, just meeting people and talking to them. I really, uh, I really miss that. And a long shower helps. Okay. So it, does the talking people help in that it, they just give you snippets of ideas, or is it that... You're, you're getting feedback on what you're thinking by chatting it through with them. How, how does the interaction with other people help you with the idea generation? Both of those, and also it just uh, charges me up creatively. Okay, that's good. That's interesting. Yeah, I, I can see that. 
So yeah, back back on Ogre, uh, mentioned that it's you know it's an asymmetric game in its classic edition. Obviously, you can set up your own versions of it. Um, and you know, I was looking at other asymmetric games. So there's a Viking game called Hafnal, um, uh, and there's Root and things like that. Like what what do you think the attraction of an asymmetric game is? Why why do people like a game where the sides are visually at least unbalanced even if that you know because uh, it's it is really two games you could learn it twice i would not thought about it from that point of view and then then you use the things that you have learned playing each side to inform your decisions as you play the other side of course, yeah. No, that's that's really good. Yeah, no, I think about my first plays of Ogre. I, I was flipping between the two sides. Of course, yeah, I never really thought about it like that. But yeah, no, that clarifies it. That's great. Um, and, you know, it's hard designing a good game, like tough. Um, do you make your job as the designer even harder by then having this asymmetric game where you've got to balance these two different sides? Yes. Well, you're not tempted to just say, fine, there's just one over on each side. Uh, no, uh, it's, it's a challenge to take on. In the game Illuminati, there are multiple Illuminatis, and they all have special powers. And that's getting to be more of a thing now as designers learn that they can do it, uh, giving each... Uh, position in the game a little asymmetric power of some kind so speaking of kind of you know conventions which we mentioned a little bit earlier um th this year you play tested an early version of ogre on this new digital tabletop device the game board um yeah how did that go how was the device you know what, what are your thoughts there oh that device has huge promise uh, i am i I'm a big game board fan, and I'm looking forward to getting mine and spending a lot of time with it. The Ogre game that I played had a ways to go, but it showed huge promise too. The biggest problem of that particular version was the instructional and tutorial text had uh, it. It was still what you download from Steam. It hadn't been. Uh, converted yet to explain what to do with what you were seeing on the game board and i expect by now that's settled yeah we, we we kind of had to sort of use an earlier version where we didn't have the actual device earlier on in the development to do it so we just kind of had to carry on with that bit but you know once you actually get it we we, we have a device now as well they, they kindly sent us one over and um yeah they're, they're really nice and uh you know that functionality they've got to allow them to network multiples of them together i could just totally see you know the, the, the big ogre game boards you can have massive games of ogre with like four or five of the, you know six of these things networked together would be very cool yes and the device the screen goes edge to edge there's no border so it'll be beautiful yes definitely um and you know What's your thought? So we, we're seeing more and more of these kind of digital stuff within tabletop. And to me, I mean everything from the streaming of board games through to the use of crowdfunding platforms through to, you know, the, the more like in the game elements like game board, where it's, it's partly digital, partly physical. 
I mean, does that seem in a kind of inevitable direction to you? Is it welcome? Is it is it just a thing? Well, it doesn't matter whether it's welcome or not because it's going to happen. Mostly, I welcome it. Uh, it's forcing me to constantly learn new tricks at an age when I'm on Medicare, and uh, that's uh, that's fun. That's keeping me awake. But uh, really, if the hobby were not responding aggressively and finding new uses for the technology, that would indicate to me that it was a dead hobby, and it's not. That's a very good point. Yeah, that's a very good point. Um, speaking of uh, iteration, as we, we did a little bit earlier, um, so Ogre is currently on sixth edition, and, and again, I'm fascinated by this, this process of iteration. Um, over the years of the different editions of Ogre, what do you feel is the most significant change between editions, and, and why do you feel that's the most significant change? Well, the very first edition of the game had GEVs significantly overpowered. Uh, the difference in stats was only one unit of speed, but it was too much. Cutting that down balanced it against other units and made the the contest against the ogre more balanced so that that was a consequence of listening to effectively thousands of play tests after the game had been released and people were saying oh we have fun we like this but did you know and of course the answer very soon was i know now and uh, second edition adapted that. Other editions made different kinds of changes, usually in presentation. Um, I think the really significant change was from fifth to sixth edition when we reorganized a lot of material to fit Ogre and GEV together as one game. And, of course, made the beautiful map and big counters uh, so it could so the game could be on a grand scale. It was always kind of funny that a game about giant tanks should be played on a little tiny game board. And uh, that's uh, that's not corrected. See, when I first played it, so I didn't play that. The first version I played wasn't the version with that. You know, it, it, you'd corrected the GV stuff by then, but I misunderstood the rules and I thought that ogres missiles were unlimited. So the first few times I played it, the ogres would just just cut through the other side, and I was like, "What am I doing wrong here?" And then realised the missiles were one use. You didn't just they weren't just refilled. One missile, one shot. Make them yes. count. <laughs> yeah definitely yeah once i realized that it was a better game but at first i was thinking you just be the ogre because you, you're just you're just cutting the other side down um and you know leads me on to you know 40 plus years later i, I mean for me it's um it's about 40 well slightly less than about 38 years later i'm still playing ogre and and for you obviously 40 plus years later you're, you're still having people ask you about ogre um why, why do you think we're all still into ogre you know it's got that massive longevity which is fantastic i wish that i could be absolutely certain but i think some of it is that it's it is telling a very very primal story 
in uh, in modern guise. You have heroes going out to fight the dragon. Most of the heroes won't come home, but if they cooperate and if they're willing to sacrifice themselves, the dragon can be beaten. That's a really good point, yeah. You're right, it's a very primal story. The story on the other side is primal too. If you're the ogre, crush, kill, destroy. <laughs> and it's all right because you're just a machine. You don't have to rationalize wickedness or cruelty. You're doing your job. And you're, you're doing it with skill and logic, and your job is to destroy all the crunchies. Yeah, that's an excellent point. Um, that's great. Um, what is next for Ogre that you're able to talk to us about? I know there's stuff bubbling under, which is very exciting. Is there stuff you're able to share or, or, or not yet? Well, the game board project is probably the one that I'm the most excited about. But yes, other things are going on. Uh, we have been slowly processing through all the problems with China and covid and there will be a new set of ogre plastic miniatures available at some point. We, we think we'll see final proofs of them next week. But I have learned that these days out of China, you don't predict finishing time. You announce it when it's in the warehouse. That's a good point. Yeah. If, if this was video, you would have seen my ears prick up at that point. Um, the idea of new miniatures um totally sold there so you've got at least one pre-order when you do announce great the other bit of good news is that we have a new line editor for ogre david rock who's a long time player and a busy guy but he's giving us some of his time to help the game stay relevant which is a perfect segue because uh we will be able to go from this discussion with you, Steve, over to a discussion with David. So um, unless there's anything else Ogre-related you wanted to uh, tell us about, um, uh, just wanted to say a huge thank you both for creating Ogre in the first place uh, and also for giving some of us, uh, us some of your valuable time today to answer questions. So a huge thank you, Steve. My pleasure. Steve Jackson, oh my gosh. There was such a great game of tennis back and forth between Steve and uh, and Thomas. Mm. Uh, and frankly, the interview was so kind of heartwarming. Mm. It was like the whole world had stopped and we were just talking about Ogre, what's to come of Ogre, its backstory, its design. It was just really, really cool to see Thomas or listen to Thomas talk to Steve in that light. It was so, so good. So, so good. Mm. You definitely get that feeling of like when you sit down in an interview with a games developer of any kind, and we get that too as, as video games developers, just to sit and listen to someone who's created something they love so much. This is, you know, Ogre is an entire world of lore that Steve Jackson and Steve Jackson Games have poured their heart and souls into. And it's really very heartwarming like you said to to be in the presence of that and to hear someone talking about something they care about immensely in that way yeah yeah there was mention as well i must must seek out um at time of recording christmas is around the corner um but there's a number of um well i don't know how much of a number maybe a small number of ogre novels available i think i want to say don't quote me on that i'm gonna have to dig a little bit deeper and find those because i want to add those to my victory shelf which just has my 
like project related things just sitting on this shelf because it's like yeah they're like trophies almost you know you, mm. see, you have you collect these things it's like yeah i worked on that or that's associated to that i love all that kind of stuff um but yes it's been another uh great episode thank you so much for your time today and um it, i have to say I'm, I'm gonna say it jess it's been really really great to have you in on this on this season you've been such a great kind of addition you've added so much um long may it continue i don't want to see any uh regenerations <laughs> anytime soon because i like where this is going i think there's there's a new edge to the to the podcast this season. Um, as we've mentioned, season six was challenging because of COVID and the mm -hmm. the amount we had to improvise on the fly of things. Thank you, Matt. Thank you uh, for the very very kind words and compliments. I mean, I'm gonna just have the most giant ego after the end of this podcast session. But <laughs> I would also like to say, like, thank you so much for being the most brilliant co-host as well. An introduction to podcasting, because believe it or not, listeners, I've never done any podcasting before. So it's been well, it's been a delight. You'd, you'd never be able to tell. And also I, I would just say from the record, for the record, don't take anything I do or do not do as like the as the theory book behind podcasting because I'm not the best one to like to draw <laughs> that kind of correct inspiration from but I'll still take the compliment too um, but listen it's been amazing thanks again to Steve Jackson um, for yes. his time during the interview with Thomas thanks to of course to um, our studio director Thomas for for putting that together and it was it was so so great to, to be a part of that um Made me feel gooey, made me feel fuzzy. It was fantastic. Mm, like a like a Christmas chocolate. <laughs> <laughs> sure. Sure. I'll take that. I'll take mm -hmm. that. I'll see you in the next one, Jess. See ya. In the fast-paced realm of the games industry, the best way to keep up to date with everything happening at Oroch Digital is to follow us on social media. You can find us on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, using the handle at Oroch Digital. And we're on LinkedIn too, as auroc-digital-limited. We also encourage you to sign up to our mailing list to receive regular newsletters that go into more detail about our projects and to join our community Discord, who are the first to hear our updates. You can subscribe to the mailing list and join the Discord on our website, orocdigital.com. And whilst you're on the website, be sure to check out our recruitment page under orocdigital.com forward slash jobs where we post all employment opportunities. Links to all these socials and more are in the episode description. Thanks so much for listening. We'll see you in the next one.